This is an ABC podcast. You're listening to A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper. Thanks for joining me. This week, we're meeting a young kid from country New South Wales who's pursuing his rodeo dream. He's headed to the World Champs in Las Vegas. It's a long way from where he first got into the sport, practising riding on the back of his family's pet pig. We'll catch up with father and son beekeepers who are busy keeping up with demand for the queen bees they breed. And we'll check in with a sculptor carving a legacy piece to outlast us all. She's working with a huge block of granite, carving a stone face that will measure more than two metres high and take pride of place on a Tasmanian sculpture trail. She'll talk us through her methods. You can't just pick up a, a, a rock and bash it to bits. It really needs hard tools, diamond tools, tungsten tipped. But um, I can turn a tungsten tipped drill into licorice in about five minutes so it's pretty tough stuff yeah choosing the right tools for the job we'll catch up with that stone sculptor a little later first today we're taking to the sky and jumping aboard a mail plane that's delivering parcels and letters to remote communities and cattle stations in the victoria river district of the northern territory our reporter max rowley joined the mail run that's been a lifeline for communities isolated during a particularly wet wet season have you been in a small plane before? Never, never. Alright. It's 9am and fast approaching 30 degrees on the tarmac at Catherine Airport, where pilot Jordan Griffin is loading the last few packages into a small six-seater plane. It looks like a full load. Oh, it sure is. Uh, Ten stops today, so big, big run, lots of mail, uh, about 170 kilos all up. Weight-wise, we can fit about 300 kilos, um, but normally we get some bulky stuff, so we kind of take up all the room before we take up all the weight. And how's the weather looking for the flight? Oh, looking fantastic. It's going to be a beautiful day the entire way, so it should be good. I'm happy to hear that. That's good, that's good. (laughs) All right, let's get to it. Too easy. Let's go. The weekly service delivers about four tonnes of mail every month to remote communities and cattle stations right across the Northern Territory. And we're off. Today's flight is headed to the Victoria River District, a vast region west of Catherine that stretches to the WA border. After about an hour in the air, flying over vast expanses of Savannah woodlands and rust-coloured rivers, the first stop is Kidman Springs Station. Thank you very much. What's your name? Zach. How you going? Good, good. What are you uh, getting delivered today? Um, just the mail. Every Friday, get the mail. We've got um, oh, six people that live out here, so everyone relies on this service to um, yeah, keep, them, keep them going. It's a, it's a necessary service. Yeah, we appreciate what the, what the guys do, you know, getting it out here to these remote locations for us. Yarraman traffic, Romeo Delta Hotel, it's one five miles to the northeast. Up next is the remote Aboriginal community of Yarralin, four hours drive southwest of Catherine and home to about 300 people. It's usually pretty busy here. Uh, we have a few people come out and meet the plane. Uh, people from police, from the clinic and from the community store. Hey mate. Good, good. Uh, my name's Casey, I'm from Yarralin. I work at the clinic here, the local clinic. Unlike Kidman Springs, Casey says Yarralin has been isolated by recent flooding during the top end's wet season. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah, 
during the last two months, I think, or something like that. Yeah. So people haven't been able to get in and in or out, out of. Yeah, only by plane and depending on the weather, if the planes can make it out. So I guess uh, there's plenty of things to be delivered then to Yarraland. Plenty, plenty, yeah. What are people picking up? Um, mainly mail, parcels, supplies, um, household goods. Um, bloods will be normally sent out from the clinic and receive bloods, medications. Yeah, a lot of resources. Next stop, Humbert River. A short flight from Yarraland. Humbert River is nestled in a valley between winding flat-topped escarpments. Hello, I'm Mai Kruger and this is Humbert River Station, the outstation to VRD. And uh, what are you picking up today? Just the mail, by the mail plane. Expecting anything? Um, some shoes and then my partner's expecting his gun licence letter. How much do you rely on the, on the mail plane to you know, get those parcels and things? Oh, pretty heavily because we don't get to town that often and, yeah, especially in the wet too, not being able to go to town because of the road. You only have the mail plane, really. How long have you been cut off for? Previously, we were cut off for oh, a couple of weeks, like with the crossings all up, even just from here to VRD. There's like five crossings that you can't cross when, when we've had a bit of rain, yeah. So it's been a pretty good season out here then? Yeah, it has. It's really good to see everything nice and green and the cattle fat. What does the next few months look like for you here? Um, yeah, very busy with fencing and then straight into mustering, try to finish that. Normally you have like a bit more time with it being dry, but because it's so wet, you can only, you know, have so much time fencing to start fencing and then mustering and try to finish around the same time as every other year. It's pretty going to be pretty full on. And so you said you were expecting some shoes, yeah. uh, some, is that some, some boots or what, what is it? No, just some Birkenstocks my mum got for my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so that's more when you're around at the, at the homestead rather than out in, in the paddock. Yeah, that's right, yep. But eventually, hopefully, get some butchering knives and stuff that might come out soon. Well, I'll, I'll let you go and start unwrapping. I hope it's in there for you. Oh, thank you. Do you have a favourite stop along the way? Oh, not really. Um, they're all just as good as each other. It's great getting to go to all the different places and see who comes out and meets the plane. Um, some stations, it's a different person each week and, yeah, different people that start at the station all that, so they've all got a different story and it's, it's always great to meet people. And everyone seemed pretty grateful today for the plane and when it rocks up. Yeah, absolutely, especially uh, after the past couple of weeks with the Victoria River going over um, and all the areas affected nearby. Have you been able to deliver the mail, you know, over the past month, every week? Uh, during the worst of it, when it was heavily raining, we weren't able to get over here because of the rain and the low cloud. Um, but ever since it cleared up, um, there's just been a bit of a backlog and we've just been delivering full planes every day. We've even been delivering pretty much a Woolworths load of food supplies to all these different stations and communities as well, um, just because people have been cut off for at least a month and they haven't had food supplies. Um, introduce me, Anita. Who am I looking at? You're looking at a two metre tall sculpture of a person any person, it could be you, me, or somebody from ancient times. Basically, it's a face being carved out of a solid block of granite 
It's about 2.2 metres tall and it's going to be located down at a sculpture trail on George's Bay. While this huge face will soon form part of a sculpture trail on Tasmania's east coast, for now, sculptor Anita Denham is still hard at work chipping away at this project out the back of a stonemason's yard in Launceston. Hello, I'm Sarah Abbott and I'm watching on as Anita slowly turns this locally sourced block of granite into a work of art. The block is actually from up around the Diddleham Plains. It's a very pretty stone. It's grey granite but with nice little pink flecks through it. It's yeah. not the orange of Coles Bay, but it's got a little bit of that going on in it. So. I thought those orange flecks were something left by the tools, but that's part of the rock, eh? It, it is. So when it's finished at the moment, it's got a lot of grinder marks and polishing will come later. So those orange pieces and pink pieces will actually stand out. That's quite the schnoz. How long would carving that nose have taken? I could give you a couple of answers. It's taken 59, nearly 59 years, my skill, or hundreds of thousands of years for the stone to be created. But for me, it's been, I can't exactly put a, a figure on it because it all comes out at the same time. So it's you know, weeks and weeks of work. Yeah, This piece will outlast all of us, I think. Being the, the granite that it is, it's one of the hardest stones in the world. Sort of think of Easter Island and their, their magnificent things. Well, this will actually stand as long as they've stood. That must be a very satisfying feeling to know it's going to last for like ever. Well, yes, it is. It's, um, I call it my legacy piece because it will be here long beyond me. And in fact, somebody asked, how long would it last? It needs to last at least 10 years, I was told. <laughs> and I said, well, no, it will last as long as the planet does. Because when the planet gets absorbed by the sun thousands and thousands of years down the track, then it will melt with the, the bedrock around it. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's fairly permanent, yes. <laughs> And what's the weight of it, did you say? It's somewhere between five and seven tonne. So it's not something that can be easily just picked up and moved. Yeah, that's my next question. <laughs> yes. How does it get there? Um, on the um, back of a flatbed truck, we'll be able to lift it here from um, the factory site where I'm working uh, onto the back of a truck and then down to the east coast. And then we have to, we'll be contacting some contractors to lift it off with some very big bits of machinery. What has been the trickiest part of the carving process so far? Uh, the hardest part of it is actually making the first cut because once you've cut you're committed and you have to really know where you're going because if you take a bit of stone off you it's not like clay where you can put it back on or wax for bronzes you can put it back on. There's no undo button? There is no undo there's no well there's a lot of delete but there's no you know, undo button on this one so it's very much an organic um, evolving type of artwork. Very satisfying for me because I've worked in um, sandstone previously and this is um, next level, <laughs> plus, 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 yeah. And the tools of your trade? The tools of my trade, well, I've currently I'm working with an angle grinder and I've got a mini jackhammer. Um, I've discovered that um, diamond-tipped and tungsten tools have a really hard time, so I'm churning through all of those very quickly. But I've had to get in touch with my inner power tool person, so it's quite an unusual thing to be working A in stone, B in um, sculpture, 
in stone and see to be female working in this area. So, yep, breaking ground, literally. <laughs> Anita, when it's all installed in place down on the bay there, are you going to enjoy visiting it down the track? I certainly will, and I'm quite intrigued to see what other people think of it. I mean, it's not, it is what it is, but to have people interact with it the way I'd like them to, to see it, that'll be fun to be able to be anonymous and wander past and, you know, hear comments, hopefully all good. Um, but to have it as a legacy for my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren to say, look, look what my nanny did, or my great-nanny, or my, oh, she's some relative of ours <laughs> down the track. I think um, everybody wants a bit of permanence and, well, yeah, that's my legacy. Sculptor Anita Denham from Launceston in northern Tasmania. She was speaking to reporter Sarah Abbott as she used power tools to carve out a face in a granite block. And you can see more on that story, including photos of Anita at work on the sculpture. Just head online to the RN homepage and click the link for A Big Country. I'm Clint Jasper with you on RN. Still to come, the teenager heading to the world stage in his sport of rodeo and the father and son getting a buzz out of their business breeding queen bees. In their work shed overlooking a yard full of beehives, 43-year-old Michael Keem and his 15-year-old son Hayden are busier than ever, trying to keep up with mail orders. We meet our orders, but we don't take more orders than we can produce. They're wrapping up hundreds of tiny plastic cages, a buzz with the queen bees they breed and their worker companions. Yeah, we've just been out for the morning, Hayden and I, and we've caught roughly 250 queens that will go in the post tomorrow all over eastern Australia. Hello, I'm Jennifer Nichols, and I'm watching on as Michael and Hayden prepare their precious live cargo to be sent by Express Post from their property here at Cloyner in the South Burnett region of southeast Queensland. The Keane family is planning to mail out as many as 50,000 queen bees this year. We've been doing 1,500 queens a week probably since end of September right through till now. We've put six escorts in with the Queen and they've got a tube of candy to keep them fed on the way when they're in the mail and then beekeepers will get them in, put them in their hives and requeen their hives for the next season or maybe split a hive to make a new one. It's anything from hobbyists to blokes that are getting 50 or 60 at a time. We're on the tail end of our season, sort of autumn we shut down. Yeah, we can have a winter off and get ready for next season. What's involved in breeding Queen Bees? How did you get into this? I started working a couple of days a week for Dennis and Margaret Kidd that owned Denmark Apries before we brought the business. And outside our shed here, we've got 120 odd hives where we start breeding queens. We graft into cells and the bees treat them as they don't have a queen. and They'll raise thousands of cells each week. And on Mondays and Tuesdays, we'll go out in the bush to our nuke yards and we'll catch queens and we'll put them into little cages like this and put them in the mail and... So describe that grafting process because usually you'd have one queen bee in charge of the hive and then if another one hatches that's when you get your swarming. Yeah we'll have a whole stack of hives out here they'll have a queen in the bottom and the top will be queenless and they think they don't have a queen so we'll graft 38 odd cells into them and they'll feed them as they don't think they have a queen. Uh, we put very small larvae, sort of three to four days old, and the bees, yeah, treat them as they don't have a queen, so they'll raise cells for us. We call them cell builders. 
and a queen actually starts off as a worker. They just feed her royal jelly. We'll take her out of a smaller worker cell and put her into the larger queen cell, and they'll oh. feed her a different diet. But yeah, they start off exactly the same as a worker. I didn't know that. How fascinating! It is a cool little fact. Yeah, not a lot of people know about it. And then the drones are in a lot bigger cell and. Per hive, there's nowhere near as many. But once it gets cold, they'll actually throw the drones out if there's not enough food. To <laughs> That's pretty brutal. It is pretty brutal. It's sort of, yeah, they can be brutal at times. But yeah, in the springtime, then there'll be thousands again once it warms up and the pollen starts to come in a lot quicker. Yeah, every fortnight we'll have roughly two and a half thousand cells come out of those hives and... Yeah, we'll catch queens every week. And when you say cells, can we, you show me what you're talking about? They're just little plastic things and we put the larvae in them and the bees feed them and they'll grow them out to yeah, a cell and we call it a queen cell. For, and what's a queen bee worth? Uh, $26, if, yeah, 100 at a time each, but yeah, ones to tens are $38 each. Since the outbreak of the world's deadliest bee parasite, the Varroa destructor mite in New South Wales, mail orders for Denmark apiaries Queensland-bred queen bees have increased. We could send queens to most places, which made us busier than normal because none of the guys could get queens out of New South Wales at all. That's still the case for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's still the case. It, yeah, made our season really busy. We actually caught a, probably a couple hundred extra queens each week just to try and fill the demand. It sort of made it hard for a lot of the commercial blokes to get the numbers of queens they needed. And yeah, it'll be interesting for next season because a lot of blokes probably haven't requeened their hives in certain areas. And if you don't do that, that's when production suffers, isn't it? Yeah, the younger the queen's more vigorous and she lays a lot better. Yeah, a lot of blokes requeen every year to keep their hives at maximum performance. And if you're a hobbyist, you don't need to. You can sort of monitor your hives a lot better. But when you're sort of moving from honey flow to honey flow, you work your bees quite hard at times. And, yeah, they can produce well, but they do work hard. And, yeah, it has a toll on the queen eventually. It's exhausted from all that baby making. <laughs> Definitely. It's a big job. What are the challenges in doing this? I mean, climatically. Uh, weather has a lot to do with it. We feed a lot of sugar, pollen, because we try to stay local. But, yeah, weather's our big thing. Wind, too much rain, not enough rain and yeah we have actually done quite well with honey as well it's been a good season for us lots of rain and more rain more flowers fantastic because you've suffered some terrible drought and flood situations in recent years yeah that's weather for beekeepers floods and <laughs> fires and yeah we've sort of had it all lately so it'd be nice to have an easy year with nice rain and no floods and no spreading varroa mite. You definitely. Hayden Keem, tell me what sort of bees that you're breeding. We do Italians mainly and that seems to be the most popular throughout Australia. Uh, it works well for our climate. Nice quiet sort of bee, hard workers, keep the hive really tidy, hygienic bees. Love the bees, love to help out whenever I can and can't wait to finish school and um, yeah, do as much work with the bees as I can. You get to go to a lot of places and see a lot of things and you're out with nature, it's really good. When I was a little boy, I just like used to always hop on like little, like all my dogs and pigs and that. And I just seen like a couple bull riders on TV and that, so I wanted to get into it. From those humble beginnings, trying to ride his family's pet animals as a kid, 14-year-old Deacon Kevin Faulkner is now headed to the world stage. He's been selected to represent Australia at the Junior World Rodeo Championships in Las Vegas later this year. And he says it's a dream come true. It's always been my dream ever since I started. And I finally made it just practising and all that. And while it may have been Deacon's dream, his mum Christina wasn't so sure. He's dreamt of this his whole life. 
ever since I can remember. You know, he was riding around on the pet pig and the sheep and the dogs and everything like that. He always wanted something to ride, but we just kept, I just kept on holding him back and, you know, didn't really want him to chase this sort of dream. But anyway, I gave in and here we are today. Hello, I'm Grace O'Day and I'm chatting to Deacon and his family at their home in rural New South Wales. Mum Christina says it took years of convincing before she allowed her son to pursue the sport of rodeo. Nine years. <laughs> so can you tell me a little bit about that? So he's riding around on the pet pig, he, he wants to do rodeo. What what held you back? Just I guess just the, um, the fact that uh, I rodeoed back in 92, um, so I knew the, you know, the risk of uh, bull riders and and um, the steer riders and, and what it takes to be um, a, such a competitive athlete um, and the dangers, I guess, that were involved. Um, I saw so many injured cowboys and still know a lot of injured cowboys today. So, yeah, just sort of just wanted to, you know, wanted, didn't really want him to chase his dream, but anyway... So what, what was that final final step that Deacon took to convince you and, and what finally changed your mind? Well, it was actually Deacon's dad who, who approached me. I think they worked together um, to corner me and, and persuade me into letting him just have a go. Um, so we let him have a go at Corindai in 2019 in, in a steer ride um, where he got injured. He was He had a big bruise on his chin and on his cheek and I think it was the next day that he had been in my rodeo and I said and I remember when we were driving home and I said to him Deeks it's okay if you don't want to ride you know it's it's you've had a good go you know it's pretty dangerous isn't it and he said what are you talking about mum I'm riding at Bendemir Rodeo. Some people say rodeo is a dying sport not many people are getting involved so were you shocked when Deacon wanted to be a rodeo rider? Yeah I did and um... I didn't want him to do it, then he kept asking me, he said, I just want to have fun, Dad, and, um, yeah, and, I, like, I, I, I never rodeoed myself, um, yeah, so it was all new new to me too, and I said, right, mate, well, if we can talk to Mum, we'll give it a go and have some fun, and that's that's what, how we start, and he turned in, he liked it more than just a bit of fun, and, yeah, he wants to go further with it. For those who haven't seen Deacon ride, what would you say make, makes him a good rodeo rider? Oh, he puts his mind to it. Um, instead of worrying about anything else, when he's when he's riding, riding it, he makes sure he's you know puts his mind just that in one one thing. And um, yeah, and he trains hard, and I'm onto him all the time to train and make sure you do it right. And yeah, this is where we're at, and he's um, loving it, and yeah, he likes to do it, and that that's a big part of it too. Yeah, and yeah, so that's where we're at with it. Can you guys show me a little bit of how how your training works on the drum? Yeah, well, this is just a drum. It it just goes up and down like a bull bucks when it comes out of the shoot. It's not not the same, but it's you know on the theory of that, and um, just makes him keeps his balance and squeeze. And when he's on on a bull, you know, and um, yeah, we we do a fair bit of that, and yeah, that's that's what our training is on the drum. You know, how often would you say you guys train on the drum? Uh, probably four times a week, about 20 minutes each time, every hour. Do you think Deacon has a good chance in, in Las Vegas? Yeah, I do, yeah. Yeah, I think we would go over there and give 100% and um, that's all he can do and, yeah, I, I reckon he'll be up there with it. What about you, Christina? Oh, I'm definitely proud. I I have no doubt that he will perform at his, at his best. Um, he's, like I said, this has been his long life dream ever since he started um, and he's worked hard to achieve where he is today um, and I think, you know, um, going up to um, 
up to Dope Rodeo Company and, and in the practice pens up there and um, any, any other chance he gets to, to jump on a, a mini ball he's there so it's I think it's the the try and the heart and the determination that he has that will get him to where he needs to be. But for Deacon rodeos don't come without their fair share of scratches. Uh, yeah I've been jumped on the head a couple of times all over body got hung up once and the bull came down on top of me. What was that like? Oh it hurt a bit. 14-year-old Deacon, who's been selected to compete at the Junior World Rodeo Championships later this year. Reporter Grace O'Day spoke to Deacon and his mum and dad, and you can see more on that story, including some video of Deacon in action riding bulls. You'll find it on the RN homepage. Head online to abc.net.au slash rn and look for the Big Country program page. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. You can discover more ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listener.